to Pop the Question, a podcast that exists at the intersection of pop culture and academia. We sit down and talk about our favorite stuff through the lenses of what we do and who we are. From Pannonia Honors College at Drexel University, Dr. Melinda Lewis here. I'm your host. Hey, everybody. I'm here with Claire Toomey, software engineering student here at Drexel University and also president of Drexel Esports. And we're going to be talking about all of esports, esports here at Drexel, esports in the nation and esports across the globe. Hey, Claire, thanks for hanging out with me. Madam President. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) Nice to be here. So the thing I always like to ask first is always about starting points. And I'm wondering what your first video game was. Yeah. When I was four, my parents recall that the first time I got to ask Santa for something, I said I wanted a video game. And my parents like never understood what that meant. And since I was pretty little and they thought Game Boy had the word boy in it, so they assumed for boys, they got me a leapfrog, (laughs) which was, you know, close but no cigar. If this is okay, press A. To make a change, press B. And then I think I got a Nintendo DS when I turned five. And my first game on that that I definitely recall was Nintendogs. And that's because my parents bought it for me. (laughs) Roll over. Yeah, I feel like there were a lot of, when I was growing up, games that I always wanted, but had the intermediary of parents that were like, how about this bass fishing game? And it's like, (laughs) that's not what I wanted at all. Do you remember, were you like fascinated by the bells and whistles? Do you kind of remember that sense of, I need this, I want this? I mean, I think any kid that like looked at video games when they were younger were like, wow, that's super cool. Because it's not like, you know, a Barbie, it's something like on a screen and you can like do so many things with it. And then as I got older, I realized I could get really competitive with them and it didn't, you know, require the competition at things I wasn't so good at, like sports. (laughs) So, yeah. Yeah. Were you coming of age at a time where people were competing with each other more in person or when the online spaces had opened up and people were able to meet each other across all these different platforms? I mean, I was always competitive with my friends. So we'd be playing Mario Kart at home and I would always like try to win. But then games started developing online features. So Nintendo Online happened, so you could compete with other people worldwide on Mario Kart, which was fun. And then I also ended up getting an Xbox later, so I got to play in like online multiplayer lobbies for Call of Duty. And I just always found that really fun, and I always wanted to just be number one (laughs) in whatever I did for that. How do you then move into esports? Like, how do you find competition at a whole other level? The first time I discovered esports was when I was visiting Nintendo America in New York City. They have this like really beautiful flagship store. And I just saw that there was was like a smash competition going on and they had all these like really good famous smash players coming in and playing super smash bros in front of a huge crowd and everyone was cheering and it was like super awesome And then when I was a junior in high school, we have this game called Overwatch. It's my favorite game. I played on the Drexel team for two years. They have this thing called the Overwatch League, which is pretty much a competitive professional esports scene for this game. And they hire like pro players from around the world. And they have this huge grand finals event in person every year. And I saw the first grand finals. It was in New York City that was just packed with Overwatch League fans. And everyone was like cheering and screaming for these players. And all the professional esports players, obviously, like they're making money, they're getting a lot of fame, they're performing really well, and everyone seems to be encouraging them. So that was when my love for esports kind of started off, was just watching the scene develop with my favorite game. 
you think this is the sport for me? Like, <laughs> yeah. this is possible. I could do that. Yeah. There's no way I could have ever reached even like half of that level unless I played the game all day, every day, and like didn't focus on school or anything. So here I am now. <laughs> <laughs> but collegiate esports is like a whole other thing. And a lot of high schools and colleges started to develop, you know, collegiate esports programs and leagues. And that's what I tried to search for when I went to college was a school with some sort of gaming or esports community that I could fall back on. Can you explain a little bit about how esports is set up at Drexel? Because esports <laughs> is a wide thing. Yeah. And so I imagine little pockets. And so I was trying to conceptualize the Overwatch team, this mm -hmm. team, this team. Is it just just like everybody collaborates together or is it like there's this big overview and then mm -hmm. everybody kind of does their own thing like how is that set up yeah so back when i don't know when this was way before i got here an organization called desga was founded desga is under drexel student life or was under drexel student life and it stood for drexel esports and gaming association all games in there kind of did their own thing. It was just a club with a bunch of conglomerate smaller clubs. So Drexel Overwatch was in there, for example. Up until April of 2021, when Desga split into DGA, mm -hmm. which is Drexel Gaming Association, and Drexel Esports. So uh, DGA focuses entirely on casual gaming. And then they also host a bunch of events for the Drexel community, like LANs. It's pretty much just everyone gets together with a bunch of PCs in the same room and play games. And then Drexel Esports is the other half. And instead of being in student life or being in just a student club, we are considered a club sport. Mm -hmm. So we finally got that like bump up into maybe be considered for athletics. And yeah, we work under club sports. We have tryouts. People get cut from tryouts. It's a lot more intense team-wise. We have to do concussion paperwork. Huh. I'm like, do we need this? <laughs> like, do I do I need to to sign a concussion waiver for sitting at a desk. <laughs> yeah. But I think that's what's so interesting about esports. It's also this space where it has grown beyond what institutions are accommodating for yeah. and really challenging like the concept of sport and how we think about it. Oh no, orangutan and DC star both going down at the same time. They're going to be able to find one trade for their efforts, but it's we'll have to see if it's enough. One of the things about Overwatch here is it's so much about who has more players on the map. I see it all of the time. The second you see one of those players go down, it tends to snowball if you don't have ultimates to back it up. Uh, but Trexel immediately capturing right back of these teams very evenly matched so far. Yeah, I mean, it looks like Drexel's pulling ahead here, but Ohio State's fighting for every inch. How do you define esports? Esports, I think, is competitive enough to maybe be defined as a real sport. I think that there's a lot of teamwork that goes into it, a lot of strategizing. And the physical aspect does matter. Like you'll see professional players train their eyes, train their, mm. you know, arms for like aiming. <laughs> it's um not as, you know, physically intense as a real sport, but what other sports aren't physically intense and why do we count those as a sport? Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's like a spectrum almost. You have like the sports purists who are like football, baseball, basketball, and then they're like, okay, cheerleading. Yeah. But they'll they'll try and gatekeep and I'm just not for gatekeeping esports. I think we're just, we, we deserve to be there just as much as everyone else does. You didn't know there were cyber athletes? <laughs> my hand to God, I didn't know there were cyber <laughs> But my issue is it's still not a sport. Do you have any statistics of how many of those people also go to Star Trek conventions? <laughs> <laughs> I would guess there's actually a fair amount of overlap, actually. That's it. It is not a sport. You're too young for Star there's Trek. There's strategy involved.
do you have to physically be how do you navigate determining is it straight up like a checklist of does it have this does it have this does it have this is it you making those determinations is it by committee in the world of esports in general there is no official governing body because every game is made by a different publisher and that's who has the end-all be-all at the end of the day is who makes the game and what do they say? Oh, interesting. Yeah, that's one very interesting part of working in esports is there's no NCAA. I was about to say, is that even something that you would want, like an NCAA governing body to help? Or is it just like, I would rather be left alone so I can do what I need to do? With professional esports, everything's still managed by the game publisher. But in collegiate esports, we're finally starting to see some structure. We have this thing called NACE, uh, National Association of Collegiate Esports. And although it's not like required, they run the NACE Star League, which is the biggest collegiate esports league in the country. And they technically make the rules, but a lot of them are just based off eligibility. And then the game publishers also tell them what to do. In a perfect world, I would love esports to just be its own thing. I think it's Mm. too out of the box and too variable to kind of try and cram into this is the sport this is athletics this is pure athleticism or you know this is just a silly little club that all students can join in and participate in question about that podcast you do. Are you on the Instagram or the Twitter or the Facebook? You know, like if I have an idea for a podcast, how do I get in touch with you? Love you. Bye. Sup, mom? Uh, yeah. So you can find us on all those things, actually. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Just go to PopQuestPod on any one of those and follow. If you want to send us ideas, you can either go over to our website and leave us a message at Podcast. Or you can get us directly at popq at drexel.edu. You can actually find us on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher. Um, I can help set it up when I get home. But then you have to promise me to rate and review. All right. Love you. Bye. How do you move from being in this realm, like a college athlete to a professional athlete? What determines the professional esports athlete? You see, a lot of professional esports athletes, at least from what I've seen, either don't go to college. Because yeah, they're playing. Yeah, like they turn 18 and they're immediately just swooped up by the <laughs> mm-hmm. by professional organizations. Um, sometimes before they're 18, I've seen like 14-year-old, 15-year-old professional esports athletes that are like better than any other player you've ever seen yeah sometimes with collegiate esports uh the really good programs like redbird esports which is illinois state university they have players and usually halfway through the season they'll get picked up by a professional team Mm -hmm. (laughs) 
what determines people getting into the professional team is a lot more than just gameplay. You need to have good leadership, good shot calling. You need to not be a liability for the organization you're going to be joining. So you can't really have any like past drama like associated with you. I've never gone to an esports competition. Mm -hmm. And the only way that I've really watched esports is via Twitch or YouTube, Mm -hmm. which is I know how a lot of people experience it. But is part of the competitive element also the persona that you bring to your gameplay and how you are working with your teammates? Because it's like you get to experience not only just watching the gameplay, but hearing people talk. Mm -hmm. Is that also part of these determinations of what makes somebody a professional? Yeah, it's definitely not required, but I've noticed it a lot with professional players is like the team will obviously try and market them and you can't really fix someone that's like a complete basement dweller. Like, yeah, they're good at the game, (laughs) but like, can they make us money? Because, you know, at the end of the day, it's all about making money. And if you can't really market your players that well, or like your players just can't interact with fans, that cannot be good for your org. So it's maybe just trying to find that happy medium. And I, I think this is what is fascinating to me. I know that it is a massive world, but it doesn't make it into my bubble of popular culture very often. The one time it did, it was Ninja on Masked Singer. <laughs> mm. And they they talked about him making like a half a million dollars per month mm-hmm. at some point. And I was like, I'm sorry, that must have <laughs> been a mistake. Uh, I'm going to Google this and use my research because I was like, oh my gosh, this is a whole world. Mm-hmm. I knew it. I knew it. It's Ninja. I knew it the whole time. Gamer, Twitch superstar and oh YouTuber and personal friend. He knows I'm a fan. He's Ninja. My son is going to love this. People don't know you as a singer, but you're known to kids and gamers and YouTube fans all over the world. What made you want to- For you, are there common traits amongst those who play esports? Is there an aspect of like everybody is super competitive or I'm not super competitive, but I'm really strategic? We have multiple tiers of teams. So we always have like a D1 team for each of our titles. The D1 team is obviously like the best team. They're probably the most competitive. And Drexel gets a pick on the Mercy, which is going to stop the right in their tracks as they start to immediately back up, throw Immo on the field, and it's, oh, it's just a bloodbath from Hitscan Hero as he completely dominates as he's known to do. A four-man slam there from the main tank on Drexel A and Volgar. So uh, honestly, I'm looking not even to win this fight for Westchester. I'm looking to get these ultimates out of Drexel. It looks like a very much make sure they press Q before we do fight to kind of drip things out and get things started. Uh, we see the shatter. And in terms of like, what you said earlier about like being strategic, there's different personalities in a team. So there's always got to be like a, a shot caller that guides the team. And then, you know, there's other people that prefer to be more strategic in terms of planning before the match, talking in between fights. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of different personalities that go into an esports team and sometimes they mesh well, sometimes they don't. <laughs> yeah. What does community look like then? Because it's both competitive. Mm-hmm. In some ways, you're working together as a team often on, on games or in certain games. Then on the others, you're trying to destroy each other. How does that help foster community <laughs> within esports? It's a weird dynamic, although I, I think I understand it. It would be the same in any sport. Yeah. I mean, a lot of my friends, I guess, in the esports world have come from playing on the Overwatch team. 
I've played on a team with them for a long time and we have pickup games every other Friday in the DGA server. So it's a good time to go with like other teams, other casual players, and just we randomly get mashed onto teams with each other and we work on defeating the other team. And then a lot of the time there's a huge mentorship aspect. So you'll see higher ranked teams coaching lower ranked teams. You'll see them playing together in competitive mode. And then outside of collegiate, I've like registered for a few tournaments and I've met a lot of people through Twitter. Mm. Surprisingly, Twitter gets you very, very far in the esports world. Mm. But yeah, I've participated in a bunch of tournaments and, you know, I found a random team and we're still friends to this day. So it's really just whatever you find out there. Anytime you run into a random person in a lobby, they might just be your next best friend online. And the thing that's so great about lands, like I mentioned, DJ does those those quarterly lands, mm-hmm. is that everyone can finally meet in person. And yeah, my first uh, time meeting my team was in person at that land. No and, way. <laughs> yeah, and I was like playing for them for an entire year, but we were COVID, so we were all remote. And then just meeting everyone in person was really awesome. And yeah, you're all physically there. Let's get halal after this game, or <laughs> just hang out for the entire day. So it's always really fun to still meet in person. I promise we all just don't live exclusively online. <laughs> I was just gonna say, do you think that? COVID is part of that sitting down and practicing and playing and watching. Absolutely. I hate to say it, but COVID was kind of good for us because we were <laughs> able to keep on running mm. while Drexel was online. Our esports teams were still operating and competing. And we were kind of like the only teams competing for that entire school year. I think it definitely made us a lot more recognizable since people could only really watch us. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, we've just kind of tried to keep that momentum of we can do even more in person. In terms of future stuff, Mm -hmm. is this what you want to do forever? Like, is your goal to go into esports or games more broadly? You see, (laughs) I'm a software engineering major. Yeah. Not completely unrelated. Like, I can still technically get a software engineering job in esports. However, I tell people my major when I'm at like esports conferences or, you know, talking with other people like me, and they're like, oh, I major in esports business. I know esports is definitely, it feels like something I want to do. It feels like something I am good at in terms of managing and predicting what's going to happen. Mm. Because with this job in particular, I've had to kind of do a lot of guesswork on what we need to do since there's no existing formula for how to make an esports event successful or how to make an esports team successful. So I've found myself pretty strong in areas in terms of like strategy in this field. It's very variable. And that's what scares me a little bit about this industry is you never know what's going to happen. Sometimes you'll be number one and then next day you're just at the bottom. Yeah, I want to try and find maybe a happy balance once I'm out of college. I think collegiate esports is a lot more stable, thankfully, Mm -hmm. just because, you know, you have universities that are pretty reputable backing us. There's also a lot of growth to be had, which I'm excited for. Being good at predictions and strategies, what do you think is next? What do you think is either the next big thing or the next big step for esports? I guess the next step is to create a varsity esports program or some type of esports program that has professional staff behind everything. Because right now we're student run. And although it's like fantastic being student run, I have my classes. Everyone has their own classes. We kind of just need someone that can dedicate themselves full time. Mm. But getting our players on scholarship is something that I definitely want to see at Drexel before I graduate. A lot of schools offer scholarships. Our D1 players, every single one of them could literally go to any school for a scholarship, but they choose to come here because Drexel 
It's awesome. Yeah. And then in general, I think Collegiate Esports is fixing that inequity between different orgs, giving us a little bit more support in mm. comparison to our competitors. It's amazing to me how it is not necessarily transcended into other popular culture mm -hmm. until maybe recently. Like I think ESPN has started to feature esports. Would you prefer it to kind of maintain in this way or do you want it to be explosive? Anytime esports anything gets aired on ESPN there's always like a bunch of tweets like ESPN will go trending on Twitter and then you'll open you'll open like the the ESPN tag and it's always angry guys on Twitter asking why it's on their TV so you know I think we deserve something equal it can be separate I don't need it to be on ESPN but mm. I just need it to be recognizable and accessible to people that would want to see it to be honest when they asked me to cover the League of Legends tournament I assumed it was a basketball game with NBA legends. This is not that. Uh, it is a computer game contest. Yeah, a little different. Uh, but you know how they do in esports. Ready, set, sit down. I mean, esports just can't really be ignored. We can't be like disrespected anymore. We're such like a respectable industry now with just how successful we are and how fast we're growing yeah. that we need to be kind of maybe looped into our own thing. And I also forgot to mention at Drexel, there is an esports major and minor that got introduced. Mm -hmm. And I think the big issue now is where do we put esports? Because mm. it's too big and competitive for student life. However, some people who have like a traditional sense of athletics and with very traditional athletics departments kind of like don't really want it. Some schools have just gone out of their way and made an entirely new esports department. So they don't belong to athletics or student life. They're just their own thing. Mm. Those programs, I think, have probably been the most successful mm. because they're not having to deal with the extra things that come with trying to fit inside this box. Yeah, I think that's kind of the cool thing about it is that you already have in this realm of esports such a massive following and appeal. But the infrastructure, I think, would be really nice. Well, Claire, thank you so much. I learned so much. Thank I'm really you. excited about the work that y'all are doing. <laughs> thank you for having me. This is fun. Pop the Question was researched and hosted by Dr. Melinda Lewis. Our theme music and episodes are produced by Brian Kantorik with additional audio production by Noah Levine. All of this was done under the directorship of Erica Levy-Zellinger, the deanship of Dr. Paula Morans-Cohen, and the Pannoni Honors College at Drexel University. I honestly do. What we talking about? Practice, man. What are we talking about? Practice. We talking about practice, man.